Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. We wrap up a trading week, an interesting week it has been. We have seen some major price swings within the markets, and we're going to talk a little bit about that, add to it what we're seeing. For example, in the spike trade in milk with some temporary spikes happening in the Class 3 prices, weather continues. It's the water cooler talk, and I think it's going to be here for a while, folks. Don't forget, we have a January 12th report coming out from the USDA, and the correction that we've seen in this wheat market, not to mention the jump we saw just in that short couple of days in this soybean contract as well. Lots to look at today as we welcome Sean Hackett. He's with Hackett Financial Advisors. And, and Sean, first off, uh, this weather definitely can call it water cooler talk at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's something we've been kind of uh, worrying about or warning about for quite some time, you know, that we expected to see a kind of a drying out of southern Brazil and a, and a further drying out of Argentina. Next week, looks like we could have uh, the highest temperatures in the core grain belt in Argentina since 1979. High heat and a lack of rainfall is, you know, does not make the market comfortable with potential production. It's still early in Argentina, but, you know, at some point you do have to start worrying about putting some weather premium on, especially in things like being meal, um, you know, that they export so heavily. And so this is here. It doesn't look like it's going away. And don't forget, just around the corner, we're going to be planting this second crop, Safrina corn crop here in Mato Grosso in Brazil. And we know what happened last year. If this dry pattern were to kind of work its way back into that area, and the corn market could, you know, start to leave later on in this growing season here. So lots and lots of weather on the table. And certainly right now, you know, it's getting worse, not better. So, you know, and, and having said that, this weather has been, especially I've talked to, you know, growers in Kansas, for example, who have a lot of concerns about this winter wheat crop. And not only from the fact that we saw that De- December 15th storm go through and the fires that went through, just overall in general, you look at Kansas, Oklahoma, there's a lot of concerns for this crop. It's kind of, I'm not aware that we've ever seen the crop look any worse for this time of the year, uh, Susan, I mean, it looks, you know, we've had so much heat, so much dryness. Um, you know, we, we, we had such a warm December. The crop kept growing. It kept avoiding going into dormancy and, and, and with a lack of moisture. It's really, really vulnerable to some winter kill. Um, now that the winter is starting to, to kick in here, we're getting a lot of cold air that's expected to come in later in the month. You know, it's always hard to know, you know, can cold air come in before the snow or does the snow come in before the cold? But boy, if there was ever a year that winter kill could do more damage than normal, this would be the year with it so vulnerable. And of course, coming out of, coming out of dormancy in the spring in such dire dry conditions, you know, we really, really, you know, need to have a, a perfect spring to bring it out. And, and it, it's, it's just something the market's not going to stop worrying about. And that's why I think this correction we've seen from lowering of this geopolitical risk of Russia invading Ukraine offers an opportunity for those on the buy side, on the cash side of buying, you know, Casey Wheat probably is an opportunity here. Let's talk about that. How much pressure are you going to see on that when it comes to the geopolitical side of everything? Well, remember, I I think there was a a feeling at the end of last year into early part of this year that there was an imminent threat that the way Putin was speaking, that they were going to go in, invade Ukraine and create all kinds of problems with exports and everything. Um, and, and, and the market got really, really worried. A lot of panic buying came into the market and put some geopolitical risk on. And then Biden and Putin agreed that they would 
talk and maybe try to work things out. And, and all of a sudden this imminent threat became a, you know, maybe it's a month or two threat and all this hot short-term money that came in on this fear quickly left. And I think it's a good exercise or a good lesson in how hard geopolitical factors, uh, how hard it is to predict how those are going to move the markets around. Having said all of that, I do believe we're back to some pretty strong fundamental value, especially with the high-quality wheat supply problems we had last year. I do think this is an area of 750 on the KC wheat area that we almost touched uh, the last couple of days. I just think this is an area the market is likely to support out and, and start taking its cues, not only from corn and soybeans, but also from the ongoing problems here we're having in you know, the Southern Plains. You know, Sean, for guys that are listening to us and they're saying, yeah, but Sean, that doesn't really have any effect on me. I, I'm a producer in Nebraska, Kansas, Wisconsin. Uh, having said that, it really does have an effect on our U.S. producers, both grain and livestock. Well, I mean, Russia is the number one exporter in the world. They never used to be, but they've, they've become the main exporter in the world. And when the main exporter in the world is putting taxes on exports and threatening their neighbors we're also large exporters. There's just no easy uh, place to go to make up that lost uh, supply. And even if it's just delayed, Susan, it becomes an issue. Well, wait a minute. You know, maybe that supply will be available six months from now, but I need the supply. I need that, those supplies now. I need to go scramble to find it. And, of course, we had such poor spring wheat crops last year, and the high-quality wheat supplies are so tight that the demand for high-quality casey wheat is higher than normal. So, you know, the world impacts everything, um, and it's just not here in our backyard. We do have to look at the global picture and determine what the true overall price of schedule is, and that's, you know, uh, part of the challenge in trying to fill these markets. They used to be much more local than not like that anymore. Having, having said that, what makes you nervous then about this geopolitical feel that's going on as we start out 2022? Well, I, I have a sneaky, this is my utter speculation, Susan, but I have a I have a weird feeling that the Winter Olympics are going on, or, you know, here in China. I think China and Russia, I think they're just going to kind of keep the peace while they're going on. But I have a sneaky suspicion that when those Olympics are over and they don't have to, like, put on a show anymore about how great everybody is, I kind of think that's what I would be looking for this uh, geopolitical issue to really come to the forefront. Not only Russia invading Ukraine and and all the things they've been talking about. But I also wonder if China could go after Taiwan. Folks, we do have a lot more coming up as we continue with the second half. It's the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. Our Fontenelle Hybrids dealers can't say enough about the Fontenelle performance. Here's Don Blaschko of Blaschko Seeds between Ravana and Gibbon, Nebraska. We've always been happy with Fontenelle products. They've um, stand well, yield well. Since they're locally tested in Nebraska, they match our season and our climate and the soils better than um, other hybrids. For more on proven products in your area, go to Fontenelle.com. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label director VN. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. We're continuing our conversation with Sean Hackett. He's with Hackett Financial Advisors. And I wanted to, you touch on this during the commercial break, Sean, as we talk about the, the prices we've seen fuel-wise. We're also seeing some geopolitical effects on this oil price. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, we had a, a, a big $3 surge on one day on the idea that, you know, Kazakhstan might be in trouble and they're a big oil producer in Libya, unrest 
stemming from all of that. I mean, it, it, this, you know, the world goes through these phases of unrest and peace, unrest and peace. And right now the pendulum is swinging towards escalating unrest. And, you know, where the unrest is taking place is very, very important to the world's energy and food needs. So that volatility is going to stick around. And I think the takeaway from that is, you know, if you get a big of some of this geopolitical and you're a producer, take advantage of it. If we get some giving back of some of this geopolitical risk like we've seen in the wheat market and you're a cash buyer like livestock producers or end users might be, you know, take advantage of it. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities in this volatility going forward and you have to be ready to strike when the iron is hot. So. What what I love and the opportunity to get a chance to talk to you is we always get to get a bit of a focus and an outlook on what's happening in this dairy market. And obviously, we've seen a spike in trade. What is your thoughts on the spike that we've seen within this milk market? Well, it all stems back to the original virus where we were dumping you know milk on the ground and we had all kinds of you know problems and we and then the government put in this. Uh, food box program, and in, and but then we had the hangover, and we've been dealing with this hangover when the food box program ended in May, and they made every producer unprofitable, and everybody pulled back, and then of course we reopened, <laughs> and so the demand for cheese, the demand for butter, the demand for milk powder globally took off, and no one in the world was ready to produce more milk. Everybody was doing everything they could to produce less milk, and so we had this beat drum of higher prices going into the fourth quarter and then Omicron kicked in and we've had this parabolic rise in the Omicron virus and what's, what's starting to happen or the rumors that have been swirling in the milk market here in the last week is that a lot of Midwest and East cheese plants have been forced to throttle down their uh, cheese runs because of not enough employees coming into work because of the Omicron virus. And if you're not producing enough cheese, then guess what you have? You have a spike in the price of cheese so long as those plants are offline or not running at full capacity. It's the same situation, Susan, that we've been dealing with with the packing houses in the cattle and the beef complex over the last year and a half. It's very, very similar, although it's the first time we've really seen it occur here in the dairy business. And so we've had this big spike trade, um, but I would argue, though, be careful, right? We know with our experience with the beef and cattle, eventually the plants come back online. Eventually the people get back to work and things do normalize. And so I worry that this latest spike trade might be very short-lived. And if I was a dairy producer, if I saw this spike trade and I have milk to sell, cash sell, I think I would not let, you know, look a gift horse in the mouth here. I think this might be something I would be looking to take advantage of the volatility and get some of that first quarter milk sold on the spike trade. I don't think this is a long-term driver. I think it's a short-term issue that will go away before too long. You know, I mean, having said that, we've seen history, and unfortunately history is repeating itself when it comes to what we saw in the packing plants. Now we're seeing it within the dairy, and we know that it's starting to pick up in the packing plants again. Are are people missing because of COVID? Are they just missing because of other illness? But there's a lot of nervousness, I think, out there within this trade for livestock. It's very nervous. I mean, we, it, it really wasn't that long ago that, you know, we were dealing with severe curtailment of packing house capacity. And I do believe that, you know, every time you have another round, you're better equipped to handle it than you were the first time that it never happened before. 
Um, but it doesn't mean that the risk goes away. I just think that um, that the risk becomes less impactful. You know, you, you, everyone figures out a, a little bit of a better way to handle it, and the market understands too that this is typically a shorter-term thing. And we, although it can cause some dislocations in supply and demand on a short-term basis, one ought not to get too crazy with it because it does normalize. And I so I so so I do think it's an impact in the market something to worry about, but I don't think it will have the same kind of catastrophic impact, you know, that it did before, because it doesn't look to me even that this virus is as, you know, it, it looks like this virus is fairly contagious, but much more mild. And that means it should be fast and furious and over versus a more protracted, you know, longer term problem that we have with some of the prior strains. Very much so. What is the best way for folks to get a hold of you, Sean? Our website is HackettHA. C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. We have lots of information up on there to give your listeners a better look at what we do to see if we might be of some help and some service to your listeners. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. Just a reminder, folks, commodity futures and options do involve a substantial risk of loss, and they're not suitable for all investors. And that is today's Fontenelle Final Bell. It's been brought to you by Fontenelle Hybrids and all their local dealers right here on the Rural Radio Network.